Welcome to Questonia, a podcast about Estonian news and culture. It's been a long time, but I'm still Stuart Garlic, and this is still Marys Helrand. Um, a lot's happened in your life, hasn't it, Marys? And somehow you've managed to take over a newspaper since we last spoke. Tell us about that a little bit. That's right. Uh, so you can uh, mention me in one breath with Markus Lindemann and Hans Harloik in Estonia among Fantastic. the media magnates for the future. No, what happened is that I have become something called a Suvahidlana, which means a summer habitant of Hiuma. Hiuma is the second largest island of Estonia, and I've been uh, uh, spending my summers there since uh, 12 years or so. Uh, it's a very uh, the, the island itself is quite large, but it is very scarcely populated like Estonia. It's the smallest county with less than 10,000 people. And uh, one of the sort of established things of the island was the local paper, Hiuleht, which was always very, uh, it, it's always very great fun to read it. You start with, uh, you start reading the paper from the classifieds where you can, um, find ads for uh, tractor parts together with an old uh, jacket for a man. So it's it's uh, it's really a glue for the community and it's important. Uh, and now what happened is that the paper was owned um, by a an old exile Estonian guy who also owned a paper in Sarama, the, the biggest island and the radio station in Sarama. And this combination of these free media uh, really didn't work out financially for him. So he had to file bankruptcy. And uh, the question was, what's going to happen with he who left? Because Sarama has another daily paper, which was probably the reason of the financial uh, troubles. And in Hiuma, then uh, a number of people um, got together and thought we we could all just pitch in and um, take over this paper, but of course, uh, somehow discovering how much, um, how many uh, depth there was and so on, what what it takes. So we we ended up with twenty five people <laughs> being the owners now of this um, of this local newspaper, and uh, we are just at the beginning of the journey, putting. Um, together a new strategy, looking for new uh, subscribers, new advertisers, and hopefully developing a proper, nice online presence as well for the paper. But it's a, it's a lovely um, community project, something actually to give back to the community. But this, of course, has brought me to think about the responsibility of uh, newspaper owners, <laughs> which is uh, kind of um, the the personal context for today's show. Yes, yes. And uh, um, it, it makes me wonder, actually, because uh, Hume are obviously a, a large island with very few people on it. Um, and um, 
it it would it would be it would be amusing if uh, now that you've taken over the paper, um, if you bring a hard journalistic edge to it, and it becomes less about uh, tractors and beer and fish festivals, and you know, if if maybe maybe you uncover, I don't know, corruption or murders or some something, or you know, the kind the kinds of things you get in regional detective series, uh, that that would that was at least that would at least be uh, be be engrossing. Kill it but, is a really calm place and there is a. Yes, and it's one of the best-run counties in Estonia, I would argue. So, but nevertheless, maybe because the paper has been watching over it. Well, yeah, um, not not wishing to shill for any one particular party, but uh, you know, it's it's interesting that uh, the Social Democrats run run two local councils in Estonia, and they're both incredibly well run right now. But uh, anyway, um, today we're talking to Holger Ronemar again. Um, he's he's the investigative journalist for Express Media, and. Uh, it's Express Media that, uh, or, or two journalists of Express Media that found themselves in a spot of bother recently. Um, so let's just take a helicopter view of this all. Uh, essentially, this is about slap cases, isn't it? Um, a slap case is where an individual, be they a journalist or a source of a journalist, is prevented from speaking publicly about something uh, by a court order, usually taken out uh, by someone acting on behalf of a corporation. And um, that's what's happened this time. Two Express Media journalists were um, fined by the court um, and prevented from publishing a story which uh, accused Swedbank, um, which is Estonia's largest bank's management, of being involved in money laundering. Um, and this is kind of worrying because it comes in tandem with the release of the World Press Freedom Index, which, um, thanks to some recalibration of the metrics behind it, sees Estonia jump to fourth place where it's never been before on that index. Um, this is the index published every year by Journalists Without Borders. Um, and we want to talk to Holger about that and about the implications for press freedom of this uh, express media ruling. Um it's interesting for you, Maurice, obviously, as an active journalist right now, but um, are, are you concerned for the future of press freedom? We always need to remain vigilant, but indeed, I mean, the, the jump of Estonia on this index to place four uh, perhaps also indicates the situation overall. Um, and we are because we're talking about slap cases here, this is something that happens in other Western democracies as well. We have uh, examples uh, of really harsh uh, litigation taking against journalists taking place in the UK and uh, other places. So perhaps this is the overall context. It might not uh, the the uh, the ranking on the index uh, happens in a context. So it also mirrors the situation everywhere. Yeah, and it's it's not just the big juicy stories that uh, get uh, get get slapped either, as it were. Um, I I remember the the one time it happened to me, I was writing for um, a regional publication here about uh, the housing developments on uh, Kalarand, which is the beach closest to where I live, and. Um, I interviewed an urban expert on it. They, they accused her of uh, working off outdated architect's plans when speaking to me, and um, they tried to get a court order preventing her from doing interviews. 
um, this this baffled me as, you know, obviously I come from the UK where they just sue the publication for libel instead. But libel is not normal in Estonia. They they kind of go for these preemptive uh, uh, takedowns of sources instead, don't they? Yes. At the case of Esti Express, the story was published. So this was not a preemptive case. That was a post publishing case but there are of course uh, other cases where litigation happens before the stories are being published yeah so anyway here's our interview with Holger Ronemar Holger thanks for coming on and talking to us again um we're talking about the journalists without borders world press freedom index uh and Obviously, Estonia has, uh, well, seemingly moved up to a higher ranking this year, but the uh, the metrics are different. Um, but first of all, you were tweeting several weeks ago about why that ranking worried you or why you felt it didn't properly reflect Estonia's position in terms of press freedom. Can you explain for us why you feel that way? Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks for inviting me back on the show. It's it's good to be back with you. Um there are several things, I think, but my, my main worry uh, in a very generalist way, uh, if, if I'm trying to phrase it, is that uh, if Estonia says and thinks and, and likes to boast with all the international tops that, oh, we are number four in, uh, in World Press Freedom Index, then we should also like act that way. Uh, we should also have our journalists and our, our media think that we are here like in a, in a very, like in one of the elitist, one of the best positions in the world. But uh, the trends that we are seeing uh, working every day as uh, as reporters in Estonia do not suggest that uh, we would be like uh, right next to Sweden or in ahead of uh, ahead of uh, Finland in, in the rankings. Yeah, in, in the large scale, like nothing is like really wrong with Estonia's press freedom. But we don't have any any reporters sitting in jail. Uh, no one has been killed or or even uh, bet up on the street or, or or anything like that. But uh, there are some things that are that are really annoying. Like most of, most recently, of course, uh, we are now in the middle of a I don't know how to call it. I don't think it's a debate, but maybe maybe something uh, for the sake of it. Let's call it a debate. When the prosecutor uh, is trying to see if they can uh, if they can stick fines uh, to reporters who are covering uh, criminal investigations. Uh, the prosecutor's office uh, is trying uh, once uh, to take the responsibility to itself as defining what is of public interest and what is not of public interest. Uh, it is something that should be dis- decided uh, first and primarily by the media, uh, not not by any state institution. Uh, that's for starters. Uh, then, just like really briefly saying that we see a lot of uh, online assault, uh, harassment towards journalists, which is growing uh, every year. We see a lot of litigation against journalists. Uh, when we are doing our investigations, let's say like uh, Anavalik coming up uh, last autumn, it was, what was it, Pandora Papers. Uh, we spent days and days and days, which grew into weeks, uh, debating with uh, threats to sue us. And we are still dealing with uh, with uh, actually uh, actual law cases against us as well. And again, uh, we can see this slapping is becoming more common. Uh, the amount of time and effort we need to put into defending our, ourselves against slaps, it's, uh, it's like, I would want to say, ridiculous. 
these are like just some of the bullet points i just want don't want to uh don't want to dive into a very deep uh, long monologue here but i could be talking about it for for hours because it's it's really like annoying me there was a uh, case of the prosecutor going to court over a leak of uh, of a of a case uh about Swedbank and money laundering and the, the explanation or the reasoning of the prosecutor being that uh, it's like, uh, it's not in public interest, but it was uh, out of uh, human curiosity that this story was published. Um, I think we should uh, explain a little bit about the background or what, what happened in this story, what this is about. But also I would be interested in your estimate uh, if that story would have broken earlier, would, ha- would that have had an impact on Estonia's ranking in the index itself? Uh, yeah, uh, I will just make a very quick uh, roundup then that, uh, about, the, about the entire case. Uh, my colleagues at the ST Express newspaper uh, uh, had a scoop this March, I think it was in March, that... Uh, the top management of the Swedbank, the largest retail bank in Estonia, had all received, uh, and former former top management, had received uh, suspicions in a criminal investigation into money laundering. Swedbank is uh, one of the two uh, large Scandinavian banks, uh, which is under uh, investigation related to money laundering in Estonia. The first one being obviously, obviously uh, Danske Bank. Uh, so... Uh, my colleagues got the scoop. Uh, they revealed that I think it was nine former management members uh, who did receive a suspicion. Uh, and then uh, two weeks uh, passed, and on the uh, on one Friday uh, late afternoon, they received uh, legal documents uh, where they saw that the prosecutor had asked the the, the Estonian court the prelim- prelim- preliminary uh, charge investigation charge. Uh, to approve fines against both the ST Express newspaper and two reporters uh, personally. Uh, it's a precedent, uh, first of all. Uh, second, which is interesting about that case, is that uh, being a precedent, uh, the prosecutor tried to get maximum fines for everyone, maximum fines for the two journalists and maximum fine for the newspaper. Uh, and as you said, Maurice, that the interesting thing about it is that the prosecutor and the judge uh, uh, agreeing with, with her uh, are stating that uh, there is no public interest uh, in the fact that uh, that nine former Swedbank uh, top managers, uh, most of them still in very reputable positions in Estonian society, uh, are being suspected uh, for allowing money laundering uh, to be conducted in, inside Estonia's largest bank, <laughs> which is which is absurd by by itself. I don't even I, I can't even uh, imagine uh, yeah. so such ob- a scenario. <laughs> obviously, you're not you're not a judge or 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 a barrister, so you can't answer from a legal point of view. But if if you were to suspect what went into the thinking of the court in deciding that Estonia's largest bank potentially uh, its management being involved in money laundering was not a public interest case um i i don't want to uh, uh, i don't want to analyze what the judge or what the court was thinking but i think i can i can somehow like uh, theorize that uh, what was going on inside the, the, the prosecutor's office 
that the prosecutor's office, uh, I think they felt kind of like offended uh, that the news piece was uh, published uh, without uh, their approval or without anyone asking where their comment. Uh, they felt offended that uh, they are not in control of releasing such information. And I think that what followed was just, uh, again, as you said, I'm not a judge, I'm not a barrister, but what followed uh, was just a very weakly argued attempt uh, to, to fine us. So saying that uh, we don't know uh, how it will end up in the court, of course, like uh, my employer express made uh, the express the newspaper, uh, they appealed against the fine, and then we are waiting to see the to see the debates. And another important part why why the prosecutor uh, might have decided to fine journalists uh, and the paper uh, can be because that they are afraid uh, that the defense lawyers uh, will press uh, will push the agenda uh, of uh, biased uh, criminal investigation, biased court hearings. Actually, once that uh, once that. Uh, main state bank money laundering investigation actually reaches uh, the courthouse. Uh, probably uh, they will argue there that, that uh, unbiased uh, court hearings uh, will not be possible, that the, the presumption of innocence has been uh, broken. Uh, but but Estonia doesn't have a jury system. Estonian judges are professional. Uh, and the fact that someone is being suspected of something, uh, like I, don't, I can't see how that would make someone biased. Yeah, I mean, this was the argument that uh, that uh, publishing this information would interfere with a with a investigation or with a with a, a whole prosecution process. But uh, I think uh, the prosecution office has actually uh, themselves uh, leaked and published information on ongoing um, proceedings before. So. Uh, you know, if, I think if, that leak is a leak is a very strong word, uh, and I'm I'm always like very careful when uh, when when using that word as a journalist myself. But talking to sources uh, mm-hmm. always doesn't mean that they will leak you something. And I think that I think that's actually a big part of Estonian um, criminal investigation system uh, and the openness and the transparency of it. That uh, I think that much more uh, of uh, the preliminary. Uh, process should be open to public, not, of course, like uh, like tapping into someone's uh, uh, phone calls or, or something like that. But I think at the stage when you have uh, the, the largest bank in Estonia conducting, uh, uh, being in the center of a criminal investigation and its management receiving suspicions and being uh, basically charged with money laundering, uh, I think that that is something that the, that the public definitely would need to know automatically. Uh, and I think it should be the prosecutor's office who would automatically reveal that information. I don't think that like getting such information out to the public is uh, would, should be called a leak. No, it shouldn't. It's, it should be public by default. I'm just going to follow up on the prosecutor's office because uh, some some alarmists on social media and uh, in opinion pieces immediately after the court ruling said uh, this sets a precedent. Now, I, I know Estonian law doesn't work on precedent, but the, the argument was this sets a precedent whereby all investigative journalism has to go through the prosecutor's office. Uh, how true is that in practice? And were we being a bit too alarmist in suggesting that in the days immediately uh, no, after? No, we're not. No, uh, no. Uh... I don't like to think of myself as an alarmist, but I see like so many uh, red flags here uh, that how it will actually uh, affect uh, the journalism that we are doing. 
well, obviously, like not all investigative pieces or, or news pieces will need to go through 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 a prosecutor's office. But the ones uh, where we are uh, investigating or writing about something that has to do uh, with criminal investigations uh, would need to. And then the prosecutor would uh, either allow or not allow that basically become a, a sensor to it. Uh, and that's part of the uh, alarm uh, that, that, has, that is ringing in, inside my head. But the more worrisome thing about it is that uh, let's presume that everything is okay with the Swedbank investigation. Uh, let's presume. I don't have any facts to, to say that uh, it's not going okay. But next time uh, we have an investigation where the prosecutor or the, the police investigators are doing a really shitty job. Uh, either they are lazy, either they are incompetent, either they are corrupt. And if we want to write a story about it, uh, the prosecutor will have a possibility to fine us or to ban us from publishing it even before uh, we get to uh, we get to criticize them, uh, to hold them under, under public scrutiny. And that's, I think, uh, the, the, the most important uh, uh, aspect of this entire fight. It's not about one single case uh, we decided to, to find uh, two journalists. Uh, no, I think the, the long-standing uh, effects can be pretty serious. It's uh, early days uh, and uh, obviously the case is still pending. Um, it's uh, it's uh, crazy to ask you for it, but uh, what what do you predict? Predict what? How how is that gonna end up? Yeah, I'm not gonna predict. Because we anything. have the we have the case where where the journalists where the media won the case of uh, Port of Tallinn court case. So exactly. uh, uh, I, I I don't want to predict because predict, predictions are I don't know uh, another line of uh, <laughs> another line line of uh, work for someone else. Uh, but I can say that uh, I feel a little bit happy seeing uh, the, the amount of like public uh, reactions uh, to to this whole uh, let's call it a scandal uh, I feel uh, happy and, and relieved that uh, former state prosecutors uh, former top judges uh, and then so on uh, top lawyers uh, have uh, all spoken out in favor of press freedom uh, and uh, and then saying uh, coming out with arguments why the same paragraph uh, wouldn't even be couldn't even be used uh, against uh, journalists. The only ones that we have, the only people that we have actually so far seen publicly defending that decision are prosecutors and then maybe some uh, some top uh, police officers. Uh, so that's kind of uh, something that gives me a little bit confidence that maybe it will not uh, stick. Uh, but having said that, that even if it does stick, I would want to see also like political voices saying that uh, it's not okay, uh, and we need to change the law uh, in that case, uh, because we can't have the prosecutor's office finding uh, finding uh, finding journalists uh, for the work they should be doing in, in in public's interest, and that's something that I haven't been seeing at all uh, so far. And again, like jumping back to, to why we are talking about this, that Estonia is ranking now number four in the World Press Freedom Index. Uh, but if we want to really deserve the fourth place uh, just between uh, Sweden and in front of, uh, behind Sweden in front of Finland, uh, we should actually do something to deserve it. Uh, but uh, uh, right now I'm seeing that we are not actually uh, dealing with it in, in, in a proper sense. 
if that story would have broken before the ranking was established, do you think we, Estonia would be on place four? I'm not aware of a methodology in, in that detail, but I would certainly presume uh, that we would not be, because uh, that's not the way how the, the world's uh, number four uh, press-free country uh, should behave. In, in, in such position, such position, uh, I think no one should even or would even have an idea to start finding journalists for, for such a job that they are doing. I want to I want to ask you about slap suits on journalists in a minute, but uh, j- just sticking to the index for a second. Uh, this I've I've read through the methodology behind the index. Uh, it it comes from a fairly detailed survey, which is supposedly sent to journalists. So, how how is it that so many journalists can disagree with the metrics behind an index, which is supposedly a survey of journalists? That's that's a question that I've always had really in my in the back of my mind. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I can. Uh, I can help you here. Uh, I I never received the survey. I've I've never filled it. So <laughs> I'm. Uh, uh, I can only say that uh, my my little fingerprints are not on that. Fair enough. One of those things we can just uh, start searching for people who have actually filled it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's actually a good idea. Maybe we should do. Maybe we should do a survey of which journalists were surveyed. That would be interesting. But, uh, um, but the, the other question was. Uh, so it, it seems to not be a uniquely Estonian thing because I've heard it happens a lot in the United States. But this idea of uh, taking court orders out against journalists and sometimes their sources as well to prevent publication or you know public discussion of uh, of of various things taking taking place legally. Um, and think it, now which, which place is the US uh, in? I think they well, are Well, exactly. Something. Yeah, and I, I wonder, I, I wonder if that actually gets factored into the Press Freedom Index, or or if somehow it escapes discussion in the Press Freedom Index simply because. You know, if if a story is suppressed, then um, b- before it can even reach the writing stage, then uh, somehow that doesn't count in a press freedom discussion. It's it's a strange I one think for that, me. That, that would be like yeah, uh, that would be a huge paradox if, if that would be true. That uh, if someone bans you to to publish a story before it's even published, uh, well, like to run the story before deadline. Uh, that's like the, the most direct, most strict offense of press freedom that there can be, actually. But uh, you've you've mentioned that uh, you're currently deliberating um, whether you can publish a story for legal reasons. Um, I, I I imagine all three of us um, have have had an issue where either a source or you know ourselves as journalists have been prevented from writing or publishing something, whether it's part of a story or the whole story, um, for legal reasons. Um, would you say these slap cases are a particular problem in Estonia, or is it a Baltic-wide problem, or is it bigger than we know? Um, it's it's definitely very relevant in in our line of work. Uh, I mentioned the, the Pandora Papers earlier that we launched as the Estonian partners back in November, October last year, something like that. And we had basically, we I think we published like six or seven Estonian uh, like chapters, like different stories about it. Uh, and in at least half of the cases, we faced uh, litigation threats. At the same time, we were doing, uh, my colleague uh, ran a story about uh, a fertilizer uh, depot in, in, in the port of Sillamen, uh, which 
is now I should say was owned by by an olig uh, by a sanctioned oligarch oligarch Menichenko. Uh, after running that story, uh, we threatened uh, we were threatened with court cases in London, uh, which is the nightmare to to any journalist. So I can see that increasingly larger amount of time that we should be spending on investigations uh, we need to spend uh, fighting and arguing uh, with uh, lawyers and even though we still uh, usually we stick to publishing the story uh, of course like we will be uh, we will be extra careful in, in fact checking and getting all the all the facts uh, straight which we, which is like our professional duty anyway uh, but all the time, uh, we are losing something in the narrative. Uh, our lawyers demand us to leave uh, out some kind of uh, background which they don't see as, as relevant uh, anymore. Like the lawyers are, are already deci deciding also on behalf of us that what fits uh, public interest and, and what, what not. Uh, these are the cases that we face like uh, more often. Uh, and I've, I'm like sad to say, but it's especially true regarding uh, investigative journalism. But uh, <laughs> the heavier we work on something, uh, the larger the, the threat of being sued. The stronger the story, the more uh, probable that we will end up in court. The trouble is actually we have no idea really how many uh, how many stories are um, sort of uh, behind this uh, slap wall right now, do we? I mean. Yes, we don't, and 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 I presume. But uh, in our company, in Express Media, I think we are currently like in a pretty pretty good situation. But uh, because media is doing financially quite okay in Estonia over the last uh, few years, uh, we also have uh, something like a capability to actually respond to to the lawsuits and not to surrender, like just like arms up and then that's it. Uh, but uh, in many cases, already like uh, receiving an email from a lawyer, uh, be it before publishing or after publishing, that raises uh, the editorial offices uh, and then the reporters to, to raise their hands and then they give up, uh, either not publish the story, either leave out uh, some important details, uh, or either uh, kill the story when it's uh, already been published and take it offline. Uh, and these are the cases that we never hear about. Yes, I think that uh, the majority of such threats uh, actually don't, up, don't end up in a, in a courtroom. Uh, and that's not something that the litigators actually want to, to do. They don't want to end up in the court. Uh, but it's already like the effect is uh, getting, the, getting the work done without going to the court. That uh, the, the information that should be out there is not out there. Um, it's very difficult sometimes to work out whether the result equals the intention. And uh, of course, it doesn't always. But this uh, this express ruling or the, the ruling against the express journalists, um, which... It, you know, ostensibly protects um, some powerful people uh, from um, from public scrutiny in the press. Um, th th there, there has been discussion in the past of the relationship between the judiciary and the government, and between between the government and big business. Um, but to to what extent is it important for uh, the law to protect free press, and how well does Estonia do it? And is there sometimes an intent towards protecting big business uh, if it has a cosy relationship with those in power? Uh, I don't think that the, the relationship between uh, big business and, and those in power uh, plays into uh, into us being able to, to run something or, or not. Uh, and in, in a sense, like uh, leaving that uh, Swedbank uh, argument now aside, 
I think the law looks okay, uh, but uh, but uh, the, the fact that it looks okay doesn't mean that it always is okay. But uh, we can see that on, on uh, in theory, uh, the FOIA system in Estonia should work well. But in real life, we see how much uh, difficulty we have getting state institutions uh, to, to respond to our uh, over FOIA requests, which are a little bit more nuanced than just asking for one specific document. Okay, sometimes we even don't get the, the one specific document that we are asking uh, asking for. Uh, another big problem that we see and that hinders our work is um, is the question of uh, data, data privacy. The Estonian Data Protection uh, Inspection uh, has taken a very strict approach, uh, which makes it uh, like increasingly more difficult for us to trace like hidden money, hidden owners. Uh, for example, again, a, a very recent, uh, a very recent example, but the Data Protection Authority uh, banned commercial, uh, private commercial information providers such as Credit Info or, or whatever else we have uh, to uh, uh, reveal information that is for more than five years old regarding uh, the board members and uh, and shareholders of uh, of, of companies. So if you still were, uh, were a board member of whatever uh, random OU in Estonia five years ago, I go to Credit Info, I can't get that information anymore. Uh, <laughs> that is basically like 50% of the work that we are doing. We are sitting in registers and they're digging up connections. It's like following the money. Uh, and then now the state is making it increasingly difficult for us to, to actually do. At the same time, many other states in Europe are opening up the registers uh, to access to, to, to journalists. So that we could be, very, uh, but they could uh, trace uh, Russian oligarchs. This is very, very peculiar because, especially all these big money laundering cases, they they go back years. And uh, uh, what, what, how do they explain that? What's what's the reasoning behind this kind of restriction? Data privacy. That's a very. I can say it out of my personal opinion, but it's a very bureaucratic uh, description of of data privacy. Uh, luckily, right now it's only restricted to private uh, uh, corporate info providers. But if that sticks, I know that one provider has also challenged it in in the court. If that sticks, uh, I'm very much afraid that uh, they will expand it also to the state's own business register. Because why should uh, like the state and private be treated differently in in, uh, in principle? Uh, I'm afraid that that will be that will be the next uh, step. And yes, Maurice, you are very true that uh, it takes years actually to figure out connections that we that we haven't that we can't uh, uh, reveal now. But all this the Swedbank investigations, all the Danske investigations, all kinds of money launderings, we are like still and still and still finding uh, relevant uh, hints that help us uh, understand some kind of scheme or some kind of uh, some kind of uh, embezzlement that's like in money laundering terms in the money laundering world like 3 years and 5 years is nothing but we are still like seeing things that happened more than 5 years ago um it was it was also it was also mentioned and um i i, I guess this will be the last couple of questions i'll i'll let maris finish it off but uh, my last question to you is is about uh, the uh, the the number of media publications that are consolidated under either the ownership of large conglomerates or indeed the ownership of one person in the case of Margus Linemeyer and Postimes and uh, um, and other media titles. Um, 
How how important is it that media is split among multiple owners? And um, uh, also, I know you can't speak for the World Press Freedom Index, but it doesn't seem to have factored in the fact that, uh, well, um, the, the, what what happened at Postumes a few years ago and, um, you know, the direction in which uh, certain big dailies have gone. Um, and I know you work for another competing title, so you can't speak for them, but... What's your impression on all that? And uh, does the does the increasing sort of um, grasp of uh, um, of several businesses on the media does that cause problems for the future? Do you think? Uh, yeah, of course. Like media, like the, the diversity of the ownership of media is is, is crucially important. Uh, but in Estonia, like we need to also accept that we are a ridiculously small nation uh, with uh, 1.3 million people out of who maybe 1 million speak Estonian language, uh, which means that we can't have a very pluralistic uh, ownership structure anyway. Uh, but uh, and maybe we should even feel like a little bit happy that we have at least uh, two independent private companies uh, plus uh, plus 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 uh, Ariba with Bonnier and plus public broadcasters as well. So it's it's a tricky question, but I understand the, the uh, problem, problems around it. Of course, like the things that happened in Postimus like uh, a few years ago, uh, I'm not sure. Well, I, I don't know what's happening inside Postimus now, but the fact that uh, the public isn't talking about it as loud as, as, as they did uh, two or three years ago, doesn't mean that it's uh, necessarily mean that it's uh, that, that it's not happening or that things have sold. No, there are still there is still the same uh, the same owner with still the same uh, political and the business interests and the impacts. Uh, and even today, we saw like uh, the uh, the head of opinion uh, desk in in Postimers, uh, publicly criticizing uh, their news journalist who had written a piece about uh, about uh, children benefits uh, over the weekend. Uh, it's like some kind of uh, very peculiar infighting happening inside Postima still, which seems not to be on like fact based, but uh, but uh, political on based on political views. Uh, yeah, we don't have also the capacity to have like a small. Uh, uh, startup uh, news or investigative uh, journalism uh, companies coming, but just like uh, so small. The good yes, thing I, about I, it is that media is independent economically, but that, that kind of helps us. That's uh, that's a really uh, uh, interesting and important thing for me personally at the moment as well, because I almost by accident have become a part owner of a newspaper and uh, uh, it's it's really been uh, going through my mind a lot. We are this is a Hiu Left, which is a local newspaper of the Hiuma Island. It's a very very small paper, very few subscribers, and it was a community effort to uh, avoid bankruptcy and avoid the paper to be shut down. So it's twenty five owners, but I've been thinking of it a lot as we are trying to sort of create a new strategy for the paper to survive, what happens if uh, one of the owners gets into some sort of legal trouble or some sort of a mess? And then uh, in, a, in a small community of less than 10,000 people on the island, um, how, can the, how can the paper 
uh, rem uh, sort of keep up its uh, independence and its uh, its objectivity uh, in maybe, light of that. What, yeah, maybe in that case it's good that you have like uh, the number of uh, owners is quite large. Uh, yeah, but maybe this in that has case just... it's very good that you have like I don't know five or ten different owners, and probably if you also like the moment you you start publishing the Hewlett. Uh, you also openly publish the, the principles of, uh, of editorials, uh, editorial boards' uh, independence. Yes, definitely. But like this has put the whole situation of the posthumous group for me into a, a completely different uh, context, uh, realizing that the owner of the group is also interested in so many other lines of businesses in Estonia. I mean, it's obviously it's not comparable to the media situation, say, in Hungary or whatever. But as a reader or as a consumer of these news, you, you always actually need to keep in mind the, the business interests of the owner and why they are uh, reporting on something and why possibly not. So um, it, this is the, the ownership and the, the economic... Uh, background of the things in media is immensely important. I completely agree with you.